I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. And we are coming to you from the Kodo at the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharma Realm Podcast for March 20th, 2009, in which we continue our discussion of the possibility of a postmodern Jodo Shinshu. Last time, uh, when we talked a bit about postmodernity and meta narratives and uh, the uh, impact that may have on Buddhism and Jodo Shinshu, uh, we talked a little bit about the interesting historical circumstance of Japanese Buddhism and how, uh, starting around 1600 for several centuries to almost three centuries, 300 years, uh, Buddhists in Japan were forbidden to debate with each other. They were forbidden almost to interact with each other. Uh, partly, basically, I think the original motivation was to, to keep the peace because some Buddhists would get and get together and they would, uh, it would actually erupt into uh, fighting. And so uh, that is something that Japanese Buddhism has inherited, is this uh, interesting circumstance, I think, where uh, there wasn't an active engagement with other streams of thought. There may have been within the school, uh, but that, uh, you know, for a long time, they didn't have to interact with each other. But now it's totally different. Here we are. Here we are in the United States of America. Well, to a certain extent, you can. You can bury your head in the sand as oh, much yeah. as you want, right? And, you can and do I, it. Yeah, and I do. A lot and there are certainly the different parts of the country that are very different. I know that there are places in the Midwest or back east where there's one Buddhist temple that's connected to like a refugee Cambodian population and they have no idea there's other Buddhists in this country because they're so remote. Mm-hmm. So you can certainly get away with not being aware of other Buddhists. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have that luxury here in uh, the Bay Area. Here in the Bay Area, yeah, yeah. I think there's at least a half a dozen Buddhist communities within three blocks of this building, <laughs> <laughs> for example. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> that might be a bit of an exaggeration, but... No, I think it's probably right on. Um, so you wanted to say something about um, about this. I mean, this is a completely different circumstance we're right. in now. Right, um, where in Japan they were forbidden to talk to one another so they could sort of retreat to their own particular takes on Buddhism. Uh, here in the modern world, we don't necessarily have that luxury. We're sort of forced to deal with other kinds of Buddhism. We're forced to deal with non-Buddhists, forced to deal with different perspectives on the world, um, which can be good and bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that having such a diversity of Buddhism's you know, I have very strong feelings for why I think diversity is good, which I think we can get to. But for starters, what I'll say is that I think that one of the things this does is that it, you know, one of the things you can do with this diversity of Buddhism is that different Buddhists can talk to one another and that forces you to sort of come up to, to come to face to face with your own particular take on Buddhism. You know, yeah. if you have this particular idea about Buddhism and you believe this is the, you know, right way to be a Buddhist or the right kind of practice and then you find some other kind of Buddhism, well, then it forces you to say like, oh, there's other Buddhists in the world who do things very differently. You know, is that, what does that mean? And that can be disconcerting and really uncomfortable for yes. some people yes. because then you're like, oh, maybe I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or well, maybe you know, what I've been studying for the past three years is a complete lie. Right. Oh, yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, you could be in some particular, you know, very exclusive kind of Buddhist community that, you know, has a certain language where, you know, they're the right school and the best school, and then you meet people from some other community who are just as compassionate or just as wise or just as good as, you know, other Buddhists you've met. And you're like, oh, well, they're 
they must be doing something right as well. How do I reconcile those different takes on Buddhism, mm-hmm. even though both seem to say this is the right way to be a Buddhist? Or the this white, the right practice. This happened to me at the IBS dorm, the Institute of Buddhist Studies, really? while I was studying. Yeah, <laughs> so um, it, re- it resonates very much. Where you know, it, Institute of Buddhist Studies um, does have um, a sectarian a, affiliation. Yes, <laughs> it's, um, and you know that is a stronger, more or less strong at different points of time. Uh, when I was going there, it, the pendulum had kind of swung back to where it was very much. Um, trying to be a Jodo Shinshu seminary, mm. you know, and that we didn't. Before I got there, I think there was. Oh, I remember looking at the the um, course catalog, the older one, and it had like Tai Chi and um, Tibetan Buddhism and all this different kind of stuff, and it had kind of come back to have more of a focus on Jodo Shinshu. And yet, we still have Bhante Silavimala teaching classes. Yeah, and he is a Sri Lankan monk. Oh, he's famous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And his um, one of my favorite pictures is him, um, Venerable Shuanhua from the. Um, City oh, of 10,000 right, Buddhas, right. and the Dalai Lama, the three of them together laughing. It's a great picture. Wow. He was just sitting around in the dorm. we got to find that. Um, but anyway, uh, he, is, uh, he has a temple in uh, Sacramento, and he's a teacher. And uh, so I'm taking these classes, Jodo Shinshu classes, with Jodo Shinshu, studying with other Jodo Shinshu Buddhists. My teachers are Jodo Shinshu ministers and, you know, teachers. And one day he comes into the, the kitchen, and we start talking, and he just... He wasn't attacking me, but but in a way he was actually. He was um, criticizing Jodo Shinshu doctrine and saying, you don't really believe in some Amida Buddha, some like, you know, gigantic Buddha or whatever. Like, that's the only specific thing I remember. But what I, the feeling I remember, and that was just being completely crushed walking out of that room and just feeling like, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? If, you know, according to Bhante, it's just a complete joke and that I guess, you know, you know, you can go along with it because it's an institutional thing, but, um, you know, he just very much, um, I was very depressed and um, unconfident after that conversation. But the thing is, the next day I came back and I'd kind of resolved a lot of that in my mind mm-hmm. and came back stronger, right. I feel, because I allowed myself to question my own beliefs. Right. You know, which is in a way what fundamentalism doesn't do. Yeah. In fundamentalism, you can't question all those beliefs. Uh, and so, in a way, I feel like fundamentalism looks like it's strong, but um, it's actually very much fear-driven, I think, where you're not allowed, you're afraid to question, you're afraid to stand out, and you're afraid to not to go along with the, the crowd. Yeah. So, Absolutely. So that's, sorry, that's my spiel on the... It's a good spiel. <laughs> <laughs> Self-doubt. <laughs> well, I think you're absolutely right, that, that being forced to challenge your own preconceptions about anything... Um, is necessarily a good thing. You know, you're either going to have a stronger sense of what you believe in because you've questioned it and you've really wrestled with it, um, or you can reject it if it doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people go through most of their lives accepting certain truths because they work for them. Um, you know, and sometimes they don't work for them, but they don't wrestle with the things that don't work for them, and so they keep doing these bad habits that, mm-hmm. you know ultimately hurt them, but they just don't want to deal with questioning why they're doing it, which might force them to change. So that's one of the positive, I think, positive effects of diversity and uh, pluralism or you know, the post-modernity problem of having multiple different perspectives on reality is that it forces us to sort of come face-to-face with our beliefs or our um, actions and question whether or not we should hold on to them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and make them stronger. That's one 
thing <laughs> about post-modernity. Um, the, other, the other issue that comes up in this conversation for me is that part of the pluralism in American Buddhism right now is that we have so many different kinds of Buddhists interacting and there's a lot of borrowing and sharing going on in, in some corners. It doesn't seem as true in the BCA, but there are hints of it, right? That many different kinds of Buddhism start to sort of look alike, right? Um, mm-hmm. This to me is, is most apparent when we look at um, meditation mm-hmm. where most, you know, most of the most visible Buddhists, you know, are doing sitting, sit in meditation, mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who are those most visible Buddhists? <laughs> I don't want to name names. <laughs> <laughs> because I think if we dug below the surface, we would find that actually there is a very um, great diversity yeah. and diversity of approaches and diversity right. of meditation. But, but yeah, that's one of the diversities that's often not allowed is Buddhism equals meditation, that meta-narrative that, that, that asserts that. Right. And so and, therefore, Buddhists that don't meditate are somehow inferior. Right. And I mean, this uh, to, to piggyback on that, a perfect example I have is I was reading uh, the magazine Buddha Dharma mm-hmm. not too long ago and in the one of the opening essays, there was a woman talking about balancing her personal practice with being a mother. And overall, it was an interesting piece. It wasn't particularly enlightening. But at one point, she wrote, the only thing the Buddha ever did was meditate, mm-hmm. right. which is just not true, huh? which is just not true. That right there is a meta-narrative, right? It's saying the only practice the Buddha ever did was meditate. Therefore, Buddhists meditate. That's the right, proper, expected Practice and really, that's a form of fundamentalism. If there's only one way to be a Buddhist, and that's to meditate, that right there is fundamentalism. The Buddha also went out begging for food. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, all kinds of stuff, right? He taught. So if what the Buddha did is what we're supposed to do, then we're all supposed to become monks. Right. Right. Absolutely. And that also ignores what you know non-enlightened Buddhists have done. That mm-hmm. is equally valued. I mean, you know, there's a whole community of lay people around the Buddha that did nothing like meditation and they've done that for two and a half thousand years mm-hmm. you know so are you saying that and those are people that also ask questions of the buddha and that are in the suttas and, right yeah. so is all that practice not real buddhism because they weren't meditating hmm, that's a problem <laughs> so yeah so i you know we've kind of come back to this idea of of these meta narratives and of these uh exclusive meta narratives maybe yeah and yeah. um it's, it's interesting a, because here in America we can't do we we can, but you you kind of become a fundamentalist, huh? If you if you cling to your meta narrative and reject all other meta narratives, um, yeah. there's a there's a danger of becoming fundamentalist if you aren't willing to question uh, your own assumptions on your own beliefs. Um, be, Jodo Shinshu is interesting here in the United States with Buddhist Churches of America because we I think we have the conflicting meta narratives of Shakyamuni mm-hmm. and Jodo Shinshu. And that in traditional Jodo Shinshu doctrine and in Japan, Shakyamuni is very much downplayed. And they, you know, they may talk about Eightfold Path, Four Noble Truths, but that you're not taught that as something to do. You're just taught that as something that he taught and that, you know, that you have to be able to get right on the test if you're going to become a minister or something, you know. But it's never recommended. Uh, and that the official line is that Shakyamuni appeared in this world solely to teach about Amida Buddha. I mean, it's in Shoshinge. It's one of the things that we chant right there. Mm-hmm. So um, 
in America, I think this still needs to be worked out in BCA of these conflicting narratives within the school. Within the tradition, Forget yeah. it. And, and we have to deal with that if we're going to inter- interact with other Buddhists outside of the um, tradition. Right, because the outside outside of the church, outside of the church, they have their own expectations about what Buddhism is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, I was I had the the fortunate the the good fortune to work with some uh, potential Jodo Shinshu ministers last fall that were from Japan, and part of their program was to learn about uh, Buddhism outside of Japan for their uh, ordination mm-hmm. process. Um, and yeah, it was very interesting because they realize that in America, when people come to BCA temples, they've already got in their heads all these ideas about what Buddhism is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that they're bringing with them to BCA temples, which is very different from the religious experience that they they have with Jodo Shinshu, where it's just part of the family life and it's not really, you know, something people sort of come to, right? Like in America, people are coming to looking for Buddhism, Right, they're searching it out, but as a result, they have these ideas in their head about what Buddhism is all about and what it means, and they they know the meta narrative of the life of the Buddha. Mm-hmm. You know, they have some of these meta narratives about Buddhism, and so they come to the temple, and and, and the BCA ministers are f- forced to deal with conflicting narratives within the temple brought by individual members. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? <laughs> yeah, um, or have you? I mean, as in in your own particular. Well, I've had to, I've, I feel like um, one of the challenges of the minister, being a minister, is that in one way, you have to know your stuff. Mm. You have to be confident almost to the point of arrogance to where I am an ordained person in the Jodo Shinshu tradition, right? I went to Nishihonganji. I went through the ordination process that ministers have gone through for centuries now. Uh, and, I, you know, I took refuge from the Monshu and, you know, all this stuff and and that uh, I try to understand Jodo Shinshu doctrine and what Shinshu Shinran taught. And um, at the same time, though, here in America, I feel like I also have to be very humble and very flexible and very open to other traditions as well and be willing to question my own beliefs and be willing to not spew my own beliefs all the time in a loud voice, but to be, you know, if somebody says, you know, I feel like Christianity is the same thing because it, you know, it's about love and whatever. I'm not going to say, no, you know, they're completely different and you're wrong, you know, which I, you know, I may feel in my head or I may feel at certain times, right. but at that time, to me, I have to put that feeling down and say, yeah, maybe you're right. Buddhism is about compassion. Mm-hmm. And if Christianity is about love, then yeah, maybe they are very similar. If Christianity is about something else, then maybe I can't go along with it, but we're not going to get into that now. You know, So <laughs> I feel like it's like the, the, um, at, the, at the same time, you have to be extremely confident and arrogant and extremely humble and foolish. And it's really, really difficult sometimes. Right. To, it seems um, like you're balancing being a fundamentalist and being a postmodernist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a <laughs> fundamentalist, postmodernist, fundamentalist. <laughs> it was true. It's totally true. I've been accused of being a fundamentalist while I was at IBS. Uh, because, you know, another student would want to, uh, you know, they were interested more in Theravada and they were very, you know, influenced yeah, by Bhante yeah. and they wanted to do all that stuff. And I would just be like, but, you know, in Jodo Shinshu, he's saying, you know, and I would try to explain my own thing. And they hated it. Yeah. And they felt, they called me a fundamentalist, not to my face, but, to, you know, to someone else. But, so Ouch. what am I supposed to do? Am I, there's where it becomes, well, what the heck am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to say, yeah, anything goes. Right. Whatever. 
<laughs> yeah, if, you, if that's what you want to do, do it. It doesn't matter. It's all Buddhism, you know, and then it's like, well, where do we draw the line? I think that's where people have difficulty with the yeah. relativities. Where do you draw the line? If, if ethics is purely relative, then I can just go kill people because I can make up an, an, a relative ethics that says it's okay. But we do that with war, don't we? Yeah, we sure do. <laughs> Everyone look out for Harry. <laughs> He's just had a revelation. <laughs> That's, that's, that's the classic problem with postmodernity and, and the relativism problem is that absolutely, like how do you know how to live your life if there's all these different competing meta-narratives mm-hmm. and any one of them is true? In fact, some postmodernists say they're all true. They're all right, equally right, right. valued. They all have worth or whatever. But it's like, well, you know, so-and-so has a meta-narrative that says it's okay to you know, blow up civilians. Well, mm-hmm. you know, we have a meta narrative that says it's okay to go fight wars in other countries, you know. Mm-hmm. Are those meta narratives that cause a lot of suffering really good? Are they okay? I don't know. You know, and then to bring it back down to Buddhism, we have a meta narrative about Shinshu that says one thing about the Buddha, do we cling so hard to that that we become fundamentalists and are unwilling to accept that some other form of Buddhism is equally valued? I don't know. I don't know. It's really hard. I think each person needs to each minister each person needs to wrestle with that yeah but hopefully they will wrestle and not just yeah. kind of give up and either right. take the fundamentalist stance or take the anything goes stance right. the one thing about buddhism that i think is is very important um is this phrase that that i think comes from chinese buddhism that says there are eighty four thousand doors to enlightenment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think that's actually a very good it is in itself a meta-narrative <laughs> right but it's a it's almost a postmodern meta-narrative it is huh? right because it's basically saying that there are you know 84,000 means a sort of chinese stand-in for infinite mm-hmm. which means there's an, an infinite number of ways to become enlightened and I, that meta-narrative is a way to explain the wide diversity of buddhist traditions the buddhist paths and practices mm-hmm. i think that's pretty important to keep in mind Mm -hmm. because what that is really saying is that each different kind of practice is good for each different person Mm -hmm. and what works for you probably isn't going to work for somebody else and that's okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's okay don't freak out (laughs) (laughs) that everybody has their own particular karmic hang-ups we got to deal with and because of those individual problems we're going to have slightly different practices so for some people, meditation works great. Others, it doesn't work. Others, this other kind of practice works. You know, for some people, the tantric schools are where it's at. That's great. Doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that answers a lot of the questions. It doesn't solve a lot of the postmodern problems. Um, but it helps me sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> well, a, and that's where the confidence comes in. Right. I think I think confidence. You need confidence to be able to let go, mm-hmm. because, like for example, we um, when I was still in Lodi, at the minister at the church there, um, we would get people coming in from you know outside of the Japanese American community. Um, some people had been in town for a long time. Some people had you know just arrived and were looking for a place to meditate or looking for Buddhism or whatever. And one guy came and he had experience with Zen, um, you know, sitting meditation and everything. And so I emailed him. We emailed back and forth a few times. And he came a couple times. And, you know, I just thinking back, no, he disappeared. You know, he didn't come back. Um, and I think probably he was looking for meditation. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. You know, I wish I could have helped him, at, you know, out in that area. There's not so much available. And I wasn't equipped to be able to incorporate meditation um, into the church there. Um, but it's okay. 
sure, we you know had a potential one, and maybe we should have worked harder to keep him and got him to pay dues and become a member. <laughs> but that's not what it's about. Yeah, it's about you know trying to help people and and you know trying to offer something to people that they need, and not sell them something that they don't need. Yeah, right. Yeah. So so in that sense, yeah, um, I think we have it's okay to to for someone to not keep coming or whatever, and yeah, let them do what they want, basically. Yeah. And, and, and on that note, I think it's also important, you know, you mentioned confidence. I think it's important to, for the BCA and for any Buddhist school for that matter, to, you know, remember why there are these different paths and what it is that makes each different path unique and why that's valuable, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the BCA doesn't do meditation, but we do a lot of other things that work really well, mm-hmm. Right, like I, I know that there's lots of people in the BCA who are interested in doing meditation because they think people want to meditate. Let's do meditation, and that people adore. Give it to them, yeah. right? And that's fine. That's what that's one strategy. But you know, not doing meditation does not mean that the BCA is broken. Right? We don't need to fix the BCA. We've mm-hmm. been doing lots of things very well. Mm-hmm. You know, arguably for 700 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if we talked about those things, even then, 100 years isn't bad. Yeah. <laughs> We could, you know, maintain membership or even attract new members, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, again, go back to that confidence thing of saying, you know, this is what we do. This is what the BC is about. This is what Jodo Shinshu is about. This is our particular path. If it works for you, great. If not, you know, two two doors down, there's a Shambhala Center. (laughs) Right. And that's an interesting thing, being back in the Bay Area, is that you can direct people in that way. Yeah. Um, Whereas out in, you know, Lodi, the Central Valley or whatever, there's not as many options and... Uh, you kind of have to be every Buddhist for everybody. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that the, um, yeah, it's a different, the particulars are different there. Right. And the circumstances are very right. different for a minister in that area as opposed to one here. Yeah. Yeah. I still wonder about if we can go back to that relative relativism uh, problem <laughs> All right. a little bit. It's just that, you know, yeah. Is there some, overarching ethical viewpoint where we can say killing is wrong right? I, or that something is right or something is yeah. wrong. And it's sometimes when, I think when you put it that way, it seems like, yeah, there must be right. Isn't there one thing that we can all agree on, but I don't think there is. I think it's it, that it points to the complexity of human existence of, mm-hmm. of existence in general, um, beyond human existence. Maybe right. you know, that's very humanocentric, right? Anthropocentric to say <laughs> that human existence is what's important, right? right? Because we eat meat, for or many of us do. Um, if we were to say killing is wrong, well, killing who or yeah. killing what? Where do you draw that line? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think a Buddhist point of view would be: no, all killing is fundamentally, ultimately wrong. Yeah, but recognizing that to survive, we'd have to kill. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, one of the issues for me in this whole question of Relativism and, and postmodernity too is that we have to recognize that even the that from a, post, a truly postmodern perspective, everything becomes a, a meta narrative, mm-hmm. and even this idea that there's a relativism or plurality of, of different worldviews is itself a particular kind of narrative. Now you're um, getting out there. Well, I'm yeah, well, I'm getting out there for I'm getting out there for a reason, and that is to say that you know you can take this sort of academic stuff or theoretical stuff really infinitely far. You know, you can sort of deconstruct everything. You know, which for me as an academic, get paid to do that, yeah, right? I get paid to do that as an academic, and I love it. I geek out on this stuff. <laughs> I could do meta narrative all the time. Don't geek out. Watch out. <laughs> I love this stuff, but I also understand that this is highly theoretical, abstract stuff. And you know, 
the vast majority of it has absolutely no relevance in my day-to-day life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that at some point you have to make some pragmatic decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, from the highly abstract theoretical meta-narrative postmodern point of view, yeah, you're right. There probably isn't any overarching ethical standard that we could apply to the whole world that would say the killing is wrong. It can't be done. But at the same time, I have to make some sort of pragmatic decisions that inform how I live my life. So I have to make some pragmatic decisions that say, well, you know, there are some practical reasons why killing is wrong, so we should probably not do it. <laughs> you know, there's lots of sort of financial and social issues going on with murder, for example, that are good arguments against murder. I'm trying to talk you down from the ledge, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Or, you know, I can make other practical decisions about other aspects of my life just to, you know, to get through the day. I mean, our lives are sort of filled with enough ethical, moral conundrums on a daily basis anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, at some point you have to say, you know, put down the theoretical pipe and (laughs) just live your life. (laughs) Find a way to make it work. But at the same time, I think in a way, Buddhism, quote unquote, Uh as the overarching Buddhism, is... I don't know. It just strikes me as such a great religion <laughs> because fundamentalist, <laughs> but it gives a viewpoint of on morality and ethics that I've come to kind of understand as, as non harm, mm-hmm. right. And compassion, right. And that that's our guiding uh, principle. And yet in Jodo Shinshu, there's also a very kind of realistic, uh, deep understanding of, um, the fact that we can't live our lives like that as much as we may want to, but even if we think we want to, we think we want to for the wrong reasons or whatever. Yeah. Right? And, and yet Buddhism too has the critical side to it. I, I think of, you know, that this is, these aren't faith commitments that you're supposed to um, learn from the nun and then, you know, just not question and just, you know, right. believe. And if you don't do it, yeah, yeah. Right. It's not that at all. It's that, no, these are, you know, some of them, I mean, impermanence and, Interdependence, some of that stuff can get pretty wacky if you think about it, yeah. right? And yet it does uh, say something about how I live my life and right. it does give me a way to, and a to lot question it, how I live my life. And a lot of it stands up to empirical reasoning, mm-hmm. you know, to bring in that meta narrative of rationality. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, there's nothing wrong with empirical reality. You know, I mean, a lot of the moral issues in Buddhism have to do with cause and effect. Even when you hear stories about people who have moral transgressions and they do have horrible afterlives or rebirths or whatever, well, that story is pointing towards cause and effect, and we can experience that in our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to take it on faith, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. We could, but we could also say, well, if you swindle somebody out of a bunch of money, they're probably going to find you and arrest you and put you in jail. Cause and effect. <laughs> You know, ta-da, Buddhism. <laughs> I agree, Buddhism is a great religion. <laughs> and it, it it just seems, I don't know, I, I and I guess for me it does come down to that uh, having this Jodo Shinshu meta-narrative, but not clinging to it, right? Having, mm-hmm. you know, I love it. It's, it's, it's amazing. And yet, um, and the Jodo Shinshu meta-narrative, is that there's a lot there. There's a narrative of Amida Buddha, right? There's a narrative of the seven masters and how the Pure Land teachings got passed on. There's a narrative of Shinran's life, which is huge yeah. in the tradition. And we don't maybe um, emphasize it as much here as it was traditionally emphasized in Japan, but we do. I think we should. 
Well, yeah, and it, you know, we do. I, the the meta narrative of Shinron's life has a lot of meaning for me personally. Mm-hmm. It, I connect with it, so mm-hmm. that's just me, though. <laughs> well, and then you know, Renyo, and then right. you know, the whole history of you know the 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 um, development of the institution after Shinran's time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually have the meta narrative is complex, uh, but it is really interesting, and you know, yeah, like. Not to cling to it, not to be afraid to ask questions, to ha- ask, have questions asked of it, you know, as a minister, as, you know, I have to kind of represent the tradition, so I can't just say whatever I want, and yeah, I don't really believe this stuff, or something like that, you know, <laughs> um, that, you know, there there is a responsibility on my part to um, uphold the tradition, and yet, I think in America, it will pay not to be fundamentalist about it, mm-hmm. it will pay much greater dividends uh, to be open and uh, flexible and uh, critical um, from the point perspective of confidence. Right. Deep, man. (laughs) So I think we might have actually, wow, we were able to continue our discussion uh, about this kind of postmodern issues uh, in the context of Buddhism and Jodo Shinshu. And uh, we promise never to mention the word metanarrative again. Or at least not for a couple of months. <laughs> so thank you for uh, joining us. And putting up with our rambling academic. Yeah. Intellectualizing. Yeah, this a little more <laughs> academic than uh, we have been in the past. Next, next time around we'll talk about Star Trek. Okay, yeah. And, and cats. <laughs> okay, is that a promise? <laughs> no, it's a threat. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening to uh, this Dharma Realm podcast on post-modern Jodo Shinshu. Mm-hmm.